right, so f let me officially welcome everybody back to our uh, weekly shear here at the Levi Yitzchok Library on Central Avenue here in uh, Cedarhurst in the Five Towns. We've been away for over a year, and Baruch Hashem, we're back. I've had both my vaccines, and uh, we have even have social distancing over here, so uh, if anyone's looking for a safe place to come learn Torah uh, once a week, Mondays, 11 a.m. on uh, Central Avenue, Levi Yitzchok Library. Okay, and, and, and we call it the women's parsha shear. Someone was asking, is it really for women? The truth is, it's, it's for everybody, but, you know, just in the actual physical space, we made it just a women's group. Um, but really, it's, the content is for everybody. Okay, fine. Um, so there was a teacher, a history teacher, and uh, he was teaching European history, so he, he asked his students, who knows the motto of the French army? And one of the kids says, I give up. He says, that's right. <laughs> okay. Um, we're going to talk about giving up. In this week's Parsha, actually we have a double Parsha, Achreimais and Kedeshim. But in the beginning of Achreimais, it's speaking about the Kain Gadol about Aaron Akain and his duties in the Beis HaMikdash. And what do we read here? Uh, With this, Aharon, the high priest, shall enter the Holy of Holies. And then it describes that he's not supposed to go there all the time, it's only Yim Kippur. But what's, what's this word, Bezais? Why is it bothering Rashi? Bezais is, is an... Is an interesting term. Some of the commentaries of Rashi said it should have said Be'ele. What's, what's Bezais? So Rashi addresses this and he says, Bezais is a remez, it's a hint. Gematria Shalai, the numerical value of it is Arba Me'es Ve'eser. It is 410. Bezais is 410. Uh, base is 2. Someone want to count? We have an accountant. Base is 2. Zion is 7. It gets us up to 9. Aleph is 1, so we get up to 10. Tough is 400, so up to 410. Okay. Remiz, Lebayas Rishain, it is a hint to the first base Hamikdosh. The first base Hamikdosh stood for 410 years. So, what it really means is for 410 years, Aharon and his successors, his descendants, his um, the, whoever is the Kohen Gadol, will be able to enter the Holy of Holies and to perform the service on Yom Kippur. Okay, so here's a question. And actually, I got this, it's not my question, I got this from uh, Sicha, from the Rebbe, and the Rebbe calls this question actually a klotzkasha. Klotzkasha is a question that's so obvious that once you hear it, you're like, why doesn't everybody ask, it, ask this? But then once you ask it, you're like, and yeah, but what's the answer? This is really hard to answer. So it's called klutzkasha. Anyway, so the Rebbe calls it a klutzkasha. Klutzkasha is like this. Rashi says pshat of bezois is bigmatra 410. That means for 410 years, iron will enter the Beis HaMikdash. And then you know what happened after 410 years. It was destroyed by the Babylonians. And they went into Gaulus for 70 years in Bavl. So this is the klutzkasha. When they were learning this Pasuk in the times of Moshe Rabbeinu, or for that matter, 
<laughs> in any generation up until the Chorban Bayesrishan, up until the destruction. How did they learn Pshat? In other words, they come to this Pasuk, Bezeis Yaveh Arain. Oh, Bezeis means 410. By the way, guys, you know that the Beis HaMikdash is going to be destroyed after 410 years. Oh, that, that's very uplifting, right? <laughs> so, and it, first of all, it's discouraging. Also, it, it, it hadn't happened yet. So we're going to basically you're saying you're doomed. No, there's no way out of it. This is what's ha- y- y- Your fate is sealed. This is what's going to happen. 410 years is going to be destroyed. Especially, yeah? What do you say? They were supposed to be there for 400 years, yeah, and it got shortened to 210. Yeah, yeah. When you talk about the, the message of 410 years, uh, the base of Mikdash being destroyed after 410 years, it's not just depressing in that something terrible is going to happen. It's also, um, it's, 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 a, it's, a, it's a personal rejection because... We know, like we say in Musaf, we say in the Musaf prayer, that we don't have the karbonis that we normally would perform, the Musaf offerings that we normally perform. Why not? We say, Mipnei chato'enu. Because of our sins, we were exiled from our land, and we do not have access to the Beis HaMikdash. So basically, what, what's the message here? Is the Beis HaMikdash is destroyed because of your sins. It's going to be destroyed. You're going to sin. So, that's, that's our question, is really, how, how do we understand the meaning of this verse? How are they learning this verse for all those centuries up until the destruction? Every time they would come to this word and say, basically, God says in the Torah, we're going to sin, and we're going to sin so bad, we're going to get our Besamekdash taken away from us. Okay. So, uh, so what is the you're missing the question? How would you feel if you came to a Pasuk that says, there's nothing you can do, you're going to ruin your life, it's written in the Torah, and it's happening? How would you feel if you came to an event that's a future event, that's a terrible future event, and it's going to be all your fault, and there's nothing you can do about it? Like I said... I don't know if we're getting philosophical and questioning free choice. I think it's a much more simple question, just on an emotional level. Like, what's the point of such a message? Like, what's the point? Let's say even that it's unavoidable. This is the the way you talk to people. What am I supposed to do about it? You just told me that that there's no way that I can avoid this fate. So then why, why even tell me? Okay, so I'm going to tell you a story. We'll come back to this. I'm going to tell you a story. This is a story from the, from the Gemara. Um, about one of the great sages. And he had a tragic fall. Uh, the sage Elisha Benavoya. Who became known as Acher, the other one. Because his actions as an apostate, were so foreign from his original character that they just, they called him Acher, like he can't be the same guy, this has to be some, some, somebody else. Now there's a lot of uh, speculation in our tradition what set him off. I mean, it's a fact that he became an apostate. What set him off? There's different discussions. One explanation is that he had um, a, a crisis of faith, that he saw 
uh, particularly a very disturbing uh, incident where a father told a child to go chase a mother bird out of the nest. And then the child went to the tree and fell out of the tree and died. So he was disturbed by this because these are two mitzvahs, honoring your parents and shooing the mother bird, where both, both of these mitzvahs, it says explicitly, I'll give you a long life. And here this boy was performing both mitzvahs at the same time, and, and he died. So one theory is that when Elisha saw this, I mean, we know that he saw it, when he saw this, this is what sort of disturbed him. He couldn't reconcile it and uh, sort of set in motion a certain path. There's another explanation that actually he, he just had a spiritually, um, he had a spiritually intense experience that he could not integrate. There's actually a story in the Gemot and Chagiga about Dalad Nichnes Alapardis, four sages who entered the Pardis. The Pardis is like a heightened state of consciousness. Uh, it's another level of reality, a spiritual reality. That um, so there were there were four sages: Rabbi Akiva, Elisha ben Avuya, ben Zayma, ben Azai. Negative things happened to all of them. Only Rabbi Akiva entered in peace, and he left in peace. But uh, one died, one went insane, and one Elisha became uh, a heretic. So, um, and and, and it, it doesn't have to be one explanation or the other. It could be a confluence of all these different factors. The point is that Elisha had this tragic fall and he, you know, he became, uh, he became a heretic and um, he rejected the law and he lived a life completely outside of uh, Jewish observance. So, the Gemara, I was mentioning the Gemara in Chagiga, so that, that same Gemara tells us that at one point in his having fallen very low and he was performing very unseemly um, acts, so at one point it says, Yotzasabaskoil, a heavenly voice issued forth, Va'amra, and it said, and then it quoted the Posik, or a snippet from a Pasuk in Yermio, Shuvu Bonim Shevavim, return wayward children, that's the wording from Jeremiah, and then it put on a little uh, appendage there at the end of the statement, Chutzmi Acher, except for Acher. So <laughs> the heavenly voice comes out and says in the wording of the verse, return wayward children, meaning do teshuva, return to Hashem, wayward children, except for Acher. Acher, don't bother. So when he heard this, he said, okay, forget it. Forget it. If I ever had any thought that I might do teshuva, now... 100% I'm never doing tshuva. Because even in heaven they're telling me, give up. So I'm, I'm going to give up. So basically, it's interesting. And this is based on the Reish's Chochmah, which is brought in the Shalah. The worst sin that Acher did, because he did a lot of sins. But the sin that he did that sealed his fate, that he could never come back from, see, he could have come back. He wasn't being given a specific invitation to do teshuva, but he could have done teshuva, but he decided not to because he wasn't giving a given a specific invitation. Actually, this is, uh, Rav Meisha Shapiro explains that what did the Baskel mean? The Baskel didn't mean 
that Acher shouldn't do tshuva, it just says you're not being given a specific invitation. And in fact, Elisha even understood that and said, hey, you're not giving me an invitation, that means, you know, you must not really want me, right? So, the, but getting back to what the Reish Chochma says, the Reish Chochma says, the worst sin that Acher did, what was his worst sin? The, 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 the sin that he couldn't do tshuva from, that he gave up, that he gave up, that he gave up, because he had done every other sin in the book and he still could have done tshuva. He wasn't irredeemable until he threw in the towel, until he said he was irredeemable. So the worst sin of Acher, and Acher did a lot of sins, <laughs> was he gave up on himself. He decided, oh, that's it. Vasco, heavenly voice says, don't bother. Okay, that's it. I'm done. I give up. And had he rejected that, had he said, you know what? No, I'm not going to be pushed away. He still could have done tshuva. Tell you something more. There's a Gemara in Psachim. Interesting Gemara. Um, in fact, <laughs> it's so interesting that the Me'iri says that you have to change the wording and it shouldn't even say what it says. But most Mephoshim say it does say this and they have to sort of bend over backwards to explain what it actually means. There's a, there's a Gemara that says, Kol ma sheyemelecho balabayis ase. Everything that the homeowner, the host, tells you, the guest, to do, do. Chutz mitzay, except for leave. So the Me'iri says, take out that last part because it's weird. Why can't he kick you out of the house? But then there's other expl explanations. The Vilnagon, the, the, the Mognavrom, they say he can't send you out, meaning he can't send you out to go do errands. Um, meaning his authority is only in the house. If he tries to send you out of the house, like, you go to the store and pick me up some butter. He can't, he can't do that. But if he says, hey, uh, you know, stand over here and, uh, I don't know, hold the door for me, because you know, that's in his house, he could tell you to do that. Or um, Marashaw says, it's sort of like an in, in, internal contradiction. Once he tells you to leave, then you've left his rishus, he left his, his authority, so now he has no, you know, he's not your host anymore, so now he has no more authority. At any rate, the point is, we're not getting into explaining this Gemara, there is such a maimech hazal, there's such a dictum of our sages, kol ma everything the balabas tells you to do, do it, chutz mitzay, except for leave. So Rishish Chochma says like this, Acher could have, should have invoked this attitude. Hashem is the balabayas of the world. It's his world. This is his world. And therefore, as the balabayas of this world, he made the world. He has the right to tell anybody to do anything. He, he gave us 613 commandments. That's so imposing. He, could have, he can tell us to do anything. It's his world. We're guests. So Hashem has the right to tell anybody to do anything, and, and, and they have to comply. Chutz mitzay, except get away from me. I have to listen to Hashem no matter what He tells me. If He tells me, stand on your head and spit wooden nickels, I have to do it. Right? The only thing I don't have to listen to Hashem is if Hashem says, get away from me, I don't want a relationship with you. Sorry, no, I'm not listening. So Acher, in that spirit, could have, should have said, a Bosco comes out and says, everybody do tshuva except for me. I don't care. What, are you telling me to get away from God? I'm not going to get away from God. And he could have fought for it. He should have fought for it. And his worst sin, worse than all the other sins that he did, was he didn't fight for it. He gave up on himself. There's a... Uh, we're in the month of Eir, and uh, Lag Boimer is coming up. 
So I'm going to share with you a story of uh, Rashbi, of uh, Rabbi Shimon ben Yechai. So there's a story in the town of Tzidoin. Tzidoin is in modern-day Lebanon. Um, but it, at a time, it was a, it was a Jewish town, or at least there was a Jewish population there. And uh, this couple was married for 10 years, and they didn't have children. So uh, according to some opinions, uh, after 10 years without children, they're supposed to get divorced. So they came to Rabbi Shem ben Yechai. They came to Rashbi, and they said, we want you to arrange a divorce. So, and they, they were sad, you know, they liked each other, but, you know, what can they do? So, or at least that's how they felt, what can you do? So Rashbi says, okay, I'll, I'll set up the divorce. He says, but we got to do one thing. When you got married, you made a party? They said, yeah. He said, okay, so we're going to make a divorce party. If you got married with a party, you're going to get divorced with a party. We're making a party. So they didn't question. The, the Tana says we're going to make a party. They made a party. So they made a big party. And he told them, you know, serve lots of food, serve lots of drink. That was all part of his plan. So basically what happened is the, I don't know what you call him, the ex-Khosin or the soon-to-be ex-Khosin, he drank at the party and he passed out. And um, when he was like still like semi-conscious, <laughs> he says to the, his about-to-be ex-wife, he says, listen, I don't want to send you away, you know, empty-handed. I mean, I'm assuming that exuba, but like as an extra gesture, he said, whatever you like, from you know our joint estate here, whatever the most precious thing is to you, whatever it is, take the most precious thing from our house and bring it with you to your father's house. She was moving back in with her father. That's what they, they did in those days. So take the most precious thing from our house and take it to your father's house. And then he passed out. And then he wakes up in the morning. Where is he? He's in his Schwer's house. He's like, why am I in? This is my about to be ex-Schwer. Ex-Schwer. <laughs> I don't know how far they got. I don't know if they actually did the get. Why am I in the Schwer's house? So she says, well, honey, you told me that I should take the most precious thing from our house and bring it to my father's house. There's nothing more precious in our house to me than you. So I brought you. <laughs> you schlepped your drunk body over to the... House and that's I brought you. You're the most precious thing to me. Anyway, beautiful story, heartwarming story. Um, oh, and then uh, in case you like Hollywood endings, they, then Rashbi Davin for them, and they had a child. But that's not that's not the point. Uh, the point is that at the end of this story, the Medrash comments and sort of turns the whole story into a mushal and says, "Go learn from this." that this woman says to her husband, there's nothing more precious to me in this world than you. And then her prayers that she waited for for so long were granted. So how much more so when the Jewish people say to Hashem, there's nothing more precious to us in this world than you. In other words, that the relationship is not transactional. It's not about what can I get from you. It's not what's in it for me. It's essential. There is an essential relationship. It's not about what you can do for me. It's not about the payoff. It's about an essential bond. I want you. That's it. That's it. So why am I telling you this story? Because... Tshuva is the expression of the Yechideh Shebenefesh, of the core 
of the Jewish soul that tells God, listen, there may be many good reasons why you don't want me around you. And I'll be honest, maybe there's some good reasons I don't want to be around you. You know, maybe it's mutual. And those, but those reasons pertain to lower soul levels, nefesh, ruach, neshama even. You go to the essence, the essence of the Jew, the yechida. Yechida means also yachid, echad, one with God. I can't escape you. You can't escape me. So there may be many compelling reasons, even religious reasons. Meaning, it may be in heaven they figured it out. You don't belong here. Get out. And on a, on a certain level, it's a compelling argument that we need to break up. But if I go deep within myself and I search my core, I realize there is no me without you. I can't be without you. I can't be without you. That's what tshuva is. Tshuva isn't, I figured out a way to make it work. I figured out a way to get you to forgive me. I figured out a way to get me to forgive you. That's not what tshuva is. Tshuva is the recognition that I can't get away from you. And you can't get away from me. We are one. And that, that's it. That's, that's our essence. We are each other's essence. That's what tshuva is. And that's what hopefully Acher would have realized. And in doing so, he would have brought out the actual essence of tshuva. Real tshuva. Not just tshuva like he felt bad, he did some stuff, and he embarrassed himself, or he made a bad reputation for, for the other chacham. All that, I mean, look, if somebody does tshuva for an ulterior motive, great, we'll take it, because it's better than not doing tshuva. But the essence of tshuva is, it's not about a transaction. It's not about a payoff. It's just, this is my essence. And there's a story um, about the Balshemtiv, a long story. I'm not going to tell the story. I'll tell the punchline. That once somebody asked him for a bracha for children, and the Baal Shem Tov saw in heaven that the guy didn't really have it coming to him. The way a bracha from a tzaddik works is not, a, a tzaddik can't create something you don't have in your account. What he can do is he can go to the teller and get them to look up your account and go give you whatever is in your account. Maybe you have you know, millions of dollars in a Swiss bank account and you don't even know the number. You forgot the number. You don't know that you're the beneficiary. So the tzaddik can go and get you what's yours. But if it's not yours, he can't get it for you. That's called stealing from the bank. So a guy asked the Baal Shem Tov for a bracha for children. The Baal Shem Tov gave him the bracha knowing that it wasn't in his account. And a basko came out and said that uh, the Baal Shem Tov had lost his Elam Haba. And when he heard that, he rejoiced. And he said, ah, now I can finally serve Hashem properly. Because now it's not about reward. Similarly, we know the story of the Alter Rebbe. He was in Dvekis. He was in a trance-like state. And he was talking to Hashem in the second person. He was saying, Ich will nicht dein Ganeden. Ich will nicht dein Elam Haba. I don't want your paradise. I don't want your world to come. Ich will mir nicht das Dechalein. I just want you. Okay. The point is that that's not just great tzaddikim. That's all of us deep down, deep down. We say like this. It's not about forgiveness. It's not about turning over a new leaf. It's not about self-improvement. It's not about... No, I mean, it is, but that's not the core of it. That's not the essence of it. The essence is, look, even if you'll tell me that none of, nothing else will be accomplished, even if you'll tell me I'll never be forgiven, even if you'll tell me in theory that we're never going to reconcile, okay, but it's not about working a peace treaty. It's not a business negotiation. It's the recognition that I am you. And you are me. And I can't escape you. And I'm not going to let you escape me. 
And that's the depth of tshuva, and that's what Acher could have brought out, specifically when he'd been told that even heaven says, get the heck out of here, we don't want you, we wrote you off the list. That's the perfect opportunity to do real tshuva. When heaven says, I'm sorry, there's no place for you here. In other words, I, I just want you to understand, we're not saying here that God's playing a game and he's like playing hard to get, and he's rejecting you to see how much you'll fight for it. No. There's a real cheshman, a real accounting has been made. Whatever account, I don't know how they make their accountings in heaven, but they looked at the books, they looked at you know, what's, what's doable, and on a certain level, on a certain, you know, in a certain line of thinking that makes sense in heaven, they said, um, I'm sorry, this guy, Acher, he just he, he can't come back. We don't, we don't have a place for him. And it's not that it was a game. That's what I'm trying to bring out. It's not a game. It's not Hashem is, is playing with us. It's true. And the point is, yeah, fine, no, no problem, even if it's true. Even if it's true in heaven that I've been written off, it still cannot change my essence. In essence, the definition of essence is that which does not change. Anything that, it, that, that, that can change or is subject to, uh, to, to um, fluctuation is, is inherently a secondary property. An essence, an atom, is built in ishtana, it does not change. The essence of the Jew is connectedness or even oneness with God. So there are secondary properties of mine which can fluctuate in and out of a relationship with God. My behaviors, you know, God knows my behaviors sometimes can be aligned with God's will. Sometimes, God forbid, you do an Aveda and my behaviors are not aligned with God's will, right? Or, or my feelings, even, even more so. Sometimes I want to do Hashem's will. Sometimes I don't want. I want to do my will. Or, or my, my seichel, my intellect. Sometimes I'm thinking in line with halacha. Sometimes I'm not. But those are all secondary properties. Those are external layers. Go to the core. Go to the essence. The essence is who am I? That cannot fluctuate in and out of closeness with God because its very essence is closeness with God, oneness with God. Okay. Now, who was the paradigm, the absolute master, the pro, at being chutzpahdik in this fashion, of telling God, you're not going to chase me away? Meshur Rabbeinu. Meshur Rabbeinu, when the Jewish people are about to enter the Holy Land, Meshur starts pleading with Hashem. And he says, Atta Laharis es avdecho, you've begun to show your servant. And he mentions something: your 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 strength, your your strong hand. Your, okay, the point is, Rashi grabs those words. You have begun to show your servant. What does it mean? You be, you've begun. I mean, first of all, this is the end of the forty years. So they're about to enter Eretz Israel. So what, what's what's Hashem beginning? So Rashi actually explains very, it's very cute uh, that Moshe is telling Hashem, you have begun. He's saying, you started it. <laughs> don't, don't look at me. You started it. What, what does that mean? It means that 40 years earlier, after the Chet Egel, God told Moshe, I'm going to wipe out the Jewish people because of the, the sin of the golden calf. So at one point, God says, and Moshe had not be, this is an important point here, Moshe had not begun arguing yet. God just says he's going to do it. And God says, Vyato and now, Hanichali, let me alone. Leave me alone. Love me up. Leave me alone. So 
that, that, that's back in Sefer Shmois. We're talking about uh, what? Parshish Kisisa. So Hashem is telling Moshe, stop bothering me. So Moshe realized from the whole end, I haven't started bothering you. <laughs> I didn't start arguing. So he took it as a hint, don't bother you? Ah, that means bother you. So that's why 40 years later, when Moshe is pleading with Hashem to enter Eretz Yisrael, he says to him, you started it. You started You started this thing. You taught me, right after the sin of the golden calf, that even when you say, my word is final, no, non-negotiable, that really it is negotiable. Again, I want to stress this. It's not about playing games. It's not that Hashem is just trying to, you know, reverse psychology. On a certain line of thinking, on a certain level, a certain cheshman, a certain accounting, a certain seichel dikdusha, I'm saying, according to even holy intellect, a calculation has been made. No, sorry. The Jews cannot be forgiven for the sin of the golden calf. It's just unforgivable. And nevertheless... If you push, push to what point? To the essence, where at the level of essence, all of the logic in the world, even holy logic, even heavenly logic goes out the window, and God has to preserve his people and preserve his bond with them. So if you push to that level, then that level will be revealed. So Mesha was telling Hashem, you taught me the secret that even when you say my word is final, meaning God's word, heavenly, godly calculations, it may be true. It's not, it's, not, it's not a joke. It's not saying God's making it up. It may be true, but you want to know what's truer? The intrinsic, essential bond between every Jew and God. And, and, and no logical argument can uproot that. Okay, so in this light, let's go back to our Pasuk. With this, Aharein will enter the Holy Bezois, Bigamatria, 410. How were they supposed to learn this? For all the years, in the times of Meshach Rabbeinu, before they even entered the land and built the Beis HaMikdash, how were they supposed to build this when Shleim HaMelech built the Beis Oh, beautiful, new, grand opening, beautiful new Beis HaMikdash, and they're learning this positive, come to Parshish Achari, oh, guys, don't get too excited, only 410 years. How were they supposed to learn this in, 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 the, in the years leading up to the Chorban? Were they, were they supposed to say, well, guys, time is ticking. I mean, it's, it's 408 years, it's 409 years. Oh, it's, it's inevitable. There's nothing we can do. You know what the Zayar says? The Holy Zayar says that in an alternate timeline of history, see, the, the first base of English had the last 410 years. It had the last 410 years. But it didn't have to end in Khurban and Gullis. It could have finished its 410 years and transitioned directly into the final, complete, perfect, eternal Beis HaMikdash, which would have been a beautiful thing. It would have been a great thing. Okay, guys, we're ending the 410 years of this first Beis HaMikdash, and now we're going to bigger and better things, the eternal Beis HaMikdash. In other words, it would have just been a smooth upgrade, only positive in every single sense. So 410, that timeline didn't have to be a negative thing. could have been a purely positive thing. So when they were learning this, and they knew 
that, that, that the first base HaMikdash is only going to last 410 years. And even if they understood that that meant that there was the possibility, or even more than a possibility, maybe they understood that there was a likelihood of Hurban, of destruction, of Gullus, exile. Doesn't matter. You think we're phased by that? You think we're scared by that? You think if a Baskoil comes from heaven itself and says, guys, you're cut off, you're done, you're removed, no more relationship with Hashem, get out of here. You think that phases us? No. We say, no problem, God, you're the balabas, it's your world. And therefore, you tell me to put on tefillin, I'll put on tefillin, tell me to give tzedakah, I'll give tzedakah. Anything the balabas says, you got to do, chutz mitzay, except leave. I will not leave. No, I don't have to leave. When Hashem tells me, even with his divine, perfect wisdom, we figured it out, you got to get out of here, I'm not leaving. I'm not leaving. And when I refuse to leave, this brings out the true essence of my relationship with Hashem. So this Bezais 410 in our Parsha is actually a beautiful, uplifting, empowering message. It's not doom and gloom. It's not fatalism. It's the exact opposite. It's a reminder that nothing can shake or threaten or destabilize the essential bond between the Jewish people and Hashem.